And welcome, henchmen, back to another action-packed episode of the Deadly Podcast of Kung Fu, brought to you by the Villains of Man, where myself, JVD, attempts to traverse the continuity of Marvel's most prolific martial artists in Shang-Chi and Iron Fist. If you want to keep up with podcasts, you can do so over on Twitter and Mastodon at Deadly Kung Fu Pod, or wherever you follow the Villains of Man on social media. If you're new to the podcast, what I like to do is give you a synopsis of all the issues I'm covering. I take a break, play a promo from a podcast, then I jump into what I didn't like and what I did like, and maybe some mishaps and some jokes within the issues. Now today I'm continuing the Master of Kung Fu saga called Golden Daggers, and this will be part three of this saga, so you might want to jump back and listen to the two previous episodes, then skip the Iron Fist episode after those and kind of listen to the uh, Master of Martial Arts story before that, which is kind of a prelude with all this uh, dealing with the villain Shockwave. Now, uh, this has been pretty good, and I am, I'm, I'm, I mean it. Go back, listen to these last episodes. Honestly, uh, you can probably go back all the way to the Mordillo stuff episodes ago where all this kind of started at, and uh, where the seeds of this was planted, and listen, because it is absolutely good. I cannot express how good this Shang-Chi espionage story stuff. If you like James Bond stuff, and you like martial arts movies, you should really read the the old Master of Kung Fu series. But I'm going to jump into Master of Kung Fu number 48 right now, titled City in the Top of the World. Obviously, the creative team is always dug with writing and Paul on pencils. Uh, the inker is Pablo Marcos with Jack Abel helping. Colorist is Janice Cohen. Letterers are the team-up of Gaspar Saladino and Denise Wohl, with the editor, as always, Archie Goodwin. The cover for this issue is done by Maureen Severin, Dave Cockrum, Frank Giacoa, and Danny Crispy. This story is told through the perspective of Black Jack Tar, who in this story received a one-way transmitter attached to his chest. And he's telling Smith back at headquarters, who cannot contact him, everything that he sees going on. Tara arrives at the MI6 recon ship crash and finds Larner and Philo Sue. She informs him of her father's plan, which is Fu Manchu planning on blackmailing the world into surrendering power to him, or he will rule 10% of the population after his master plan is complete. The Devil's Doctor's plan is to detonate many powerful nuclear warheads on the moon to throw it out of orbit while in space. After the chaos and destruction and all the worldly threats to him are eliminated, Fu Manchu will return to China, seeing that it will be the largest landmass left with the most population. There, he will start his world dominance by restoring the old ways of his country. Knowing how close his enemy to his achieving his goal, Tar heads into the mountain to find Shang-Chi, Liko, and Reston. He tells Larner before he leaves to blow the place if things look bad regardless if they have made it out or not. Within the mountain, Fu Manchu has built the world's most technologically advanced city. Before his army of Sea Fan, he gives a speech about ruling the world and introduces his men to Shaka Karn, his newly resurrected son who will lead them to glory. Inside the cavern tunnels, Shang-Chi, Liko, and Reston discover a boat that leads them further within. Little do they know they have been discovered by hidden cameras. Fu Manchu gives orders to kill everyone except for his traitorous son. He is to be brought before Shaka Karn to be destroyed by his hand only. As the trio finds the entrance to the city, Tar catches up with them. Upon entering, the door locks behind them, trapping them inside as sea fans swarm in their direction from everywhere. 
easily outnumbered, before split up with hopes of avoiding capture. Shang-Chi and Tar split from Liko and Reston, then split from each other. When our hero gains distance from Tar, he begins to go after the Sea Fan by himself. As they begin to surround him, Shang-Chi takes out a few of them and disarms one of their skirmish sticks. Arming himself, he gives them one warning. If they do not allow him to pass, he will kill them all. Frantically worshipping Fu Manchu, they all decide to attack and each one pays with their life as a master of Kung Fu and unleashes his deadly hands for the first time in his life. Shang-Chi easily clears a ledge in the bridge of Sifan to make the platform. There he is confronted by the legend his father spoke highly of when he was a boy, the most feared warlord in all of ancient China, Shaka Karn. Moving on to Master of Kung Fu 49, titled The Affair of the Agent Who Died. Uh, as always, we've got Doug Minch writing, Paul Glacy on pencils, inks go to Pablo Marcos, colorist is Janice Cohen, letters is Denise Wohl, and your editor as usual is Archie Goodwin. The cover is done by Erning Chan, which is an excellent cover, by the way. After splitting from Shang-Chi and Tar, Liko and Reston stick together, shooting their way through any sea fan they come across. Finally, with no enemies about, they flee into a circular room and trip an alarm. To their surprise, they find a rocket ship. Knowing of Fu Manchu's plans to knock the moon out of orbit, Reston hides within as Liko continues to flee the mountain city. After seeing Shang-Chi decimate the sea fan on the bridge, Tar flees himself but hears someone coming his way. The agent hides as Fu Manchu walks down the lower platform. Unaware that Smith is screaming at him to not engage the devil doctor as he hears their discussion on the one-way transceiver, Tar does so. Calm and fearless, Fu Manchu hypnotizes him and knocks him over the side to a pit full of scorpions below. He then heads to the rocket ship as Liko leaves the room. Knowing someone was there, the villain orders his henchmen to search the equipment for sabotage. High above, Shang-Chi and Sokka Karn begin their battle. The resurrected warlord easily destroys his brother's weapons, then stands on guard. Sokka Karn then demands Shang-Chi take a sword from a dead sea fan as he wishes to not kill an unarmed warrior. The two cross still once, then twice, with the warlord drawing first blood across his brother's back. Outside the mountain, Larner begins to set up explosives to bury the city beneath the stone enclosing it. Philo Sue questions if he'll blow it with his friends inside, but he informs her he will wait as long as possible. Then the two discuss how Shang-Chi has changed during this mission. His sister questions if it is due to his love for Liko and asks Larner about her. He expresses no love for the agent who has left his lover to die in a past mission. Back on the bridge, Shang-Chi and Sokka Karn continue their fight and the warlord easily knocks his brother off the side of the bridge. Our hero manages to shift his body during his fall to avoid stalagmites below and crashes through a sheet of ice into the pit of large scorpions. Shocked to see him survive such a fall is Black Jack Tar, who yells at him to take cover in a small cave with him as he throws a grenade at the charging large scorpion. As it dies, the remaining scorpion runs over to finish it off and feed on it. With that distraction, the two make their way back up to the bridge where Fu Manchu was but run into Liko instead. She tells them of Reston's plan, pushing Shang-Chi to head to the rocket ship as the two agents head to Larner outside. Sneaking past the guards, our hero finds his rival on board the ship and stows away with him. Back outside the mountain, Philo Su spots Liko and Tar fleeing as they are being chased down by skiing sea fan assassins. 
The daughter of darkness urges the demolition expert to blow the mountain, but he refuses until Shang-Chi and Reston exit. Then the top of the mountain explodes as Fu Manchu and Shaka Karn head to the moon on the rocket ship. Seeing that Larner is set up, Tar tells him Shang-Chi and Reston are on the ship and to set the explosives off. As he sees the sea fan are about to gun down Liko, Larner questions if he should even save her for killing his lover Jenny. As he decides to be the better man, he hits the plunger but it's too late as a sea fan assassin cuts the cable. The agent rushes over to kill the assassin and is shot in the back with a machine gun as he does so. Knowing it's up to him to save everyone, he opens fire on the sea fan assassins chasing Liko and Tar. With his last breath, Larner crawls to the severed cables and holds them letting the electrical charge run through his body to blow the mountain as it kills him and saves everyone. Liko runs to him, screaming in denial as his body lies motionless in the snow. You ever wondered what comics Mark from Vale is into? What Zach from Left Behind's favorite MCU movies are? Well, Metalcore Nerds is the show for you. My name is Sean Mott, and here at Metalcore Nerds, we cover the latest things in pop culture, whether it be Star Wars, Marvel, DC, AEW, and everything else in between. You can listen to the show every Monday on Adobe Howl at 7 p.m. Eastern or find it anywhere you find podcasts after it debuts on the radio station. And welcome back to the Deadly Podcast Kung Fu with myself, JVD, as I'm continuing to dive into the Golden Dagger Saga with Master of Kung Fu. Um, this story is excellent. I really can't stop raving about it. It's amazing. Uh, I love how everything from around issue, they believe it's 26 or 25 when uh, Follow Sue debuts, um, how a lot of that has built up to this whole story, and it's excellent. And if I'm right, it's like it's episode 16, Darter of Darkness, the title. You really need to go back and listen to that to get an idea of what's going on here before you jump back into this. But, um... The narratives for these two issues, 47 and 48, the first one's by Black Jack Tar, and the second one's by uh, Sir Dennis Nayland Smith. And uh, the, the way these two are interconnected was smart, and I don't know if uh, Doug Minch planned it this way. I don't know if this narrative thing was his idea or maybe it was editorial's idea, but it's genius, and these two guys go together, and they play into each other really well. But... um. To for Tars, uh, he his narrative is all told through this recording device that he gets before he heads to the Arctic, and um, he's supposed to go to the communications division to find Ward uh, Sarsfield, who basically puts this little transmitter. It's a one-way transmitter, so it records everything he says, and you cannot talk through it. And uh, basically, he puts it on his chest, and his whole narrative. Uh, to is told on this thing as Sir Dennis Nayland Smith and uh, some of the other agents at MI6 are listening in. And as the story goes on, it's really good because you're getting the normal comic book play out, the normal story. But all of his uh, caption dialogues and whatnot are him talking to Smith in the microphone. And uh, at one point in this book where Shang-Chi goes all out, uh, his... Where he, what he's radioing into Smith just makes the fight that much better. And it's really, really awesome because his point of view, he, he's in a lower level looking up at Shang-Chi tear through these sea fan assassins. And it's kind of, and I guess in a way it's kind of like, um, getting commentary for like wrestling or like MMA or boxing. You know, you're seeing what's going on in the fight, but you have someone basically giving you a description 
of what's going on to kind of amp everything up. And it's a really cool point of view. I really like it. Now, his story ends because he sees somebody's coming when he, when uh, Shang-Chi squares off with uh, Shaka Karn and his mic clicks out. And that's how the issue ends. And then when it goes on to Smith's, um, Smith is basically, we're getting his feelings about what he hears as it's being sent to him through Black Jack Tar. And, uh, and this even gets better because, um, when he crosses over against, uh, Fu Manchu, this is where Smith panics and he's like, don't, don't attack him, don't face him one-on-one -on -one. and he's freaking out. And, um, uh, Sarsfield, he's like, Hey, he can't hear you. You're wasting your time. So it builds up the suspense of what's going on. And his whole narrative is he's hearing all this chaos fall apart. You know, his agents being attacked, them running for their lives because they all just split up. And, you know, basically you're getting to see his panic and his worry through his part of the narrative to through his story. And these two books back to back is really, really awesome. And, uh, and what I'm, uh, really most excited for for this is uh the next issue is through the narrative of Fu Manchu which is the technically the last issue of Golden Daggers and then there's an epilogue so I'm very curious to see his point of view on uh all this and how it is uh going to go but yeah a uh, really awesome storytelling right there and uh also during this to enhance everything uh Shang-Chi goes all out um here in issue 47 and uh, it's pretty cool. Um, so he's being surrounded by C-Fan because they've split up. And he knows that it's up to him to stop everything. Um, so when he splits up, he splits up from Tar. And he, you know, he takes his direct path. And then he's basically looking for C-Fan. And like I said, Blackjack Tar is watching this. And he's just going ape shit. And he, he warns them. He's like, look, you either let me go to the bridge and see my father. Or I'm going to kill every one of you. And, um... And I'm, what I'm going to assume is what happens kind of like in between panels or, you know, away from a story. These C-Fan assassins, you know, they hear stories from other members, you know, of all their different sects that, hey, you know, Shang-Chi might beat us, but he doesn't kill us. He's a hero. And they probably attack him because they don't believe what he says. And man, and he just goes ballistic on these guys. Uh, he throws one guy through uh, a window, which he falls to his death. And I'm going to assume, just to back up, that uh, Chonkar, the sumo wrestler, in the previous issues, I'm going to assume when he kicked him off the cliff, this is where all this started, and he killed him. I mentioned, like, I don't know how he would survive that. Shang-Chi survives a pretty nasty fall here in a second. But um, I'm going to assume he just straight up kills him. So he kills these guards, right? And then he takes these skirmish sticks. And then uh, he's walking across the bridge, and he's just killing every one of them. And then, uh, you know, he winds up coming face-to-face -face with... Uh, Shaka Karn. Now, um, Shaka Karn, his, his design is pretty awesome. I, I really like it. And, uh, his look kind of reminds me of the, uh, Mandarin Spawn toy. I guess actually that's now a character in the Spawn series. I've seen him on uh, some covers or something here recently. I guess I want to check into that. But yeah, he kind of reminds me of the old, um, uh, Mandarin Spawn, which is weird because Fu Manchu considers himself a Mandarin. But, uh, anyways, and, well, you know, Wenwu was supposedly, is supposedly the Mandarin, you know, in the MCU. It's weird how that all kind of connects here. But, um, he's got a really cool design, and, uh, he looks kind of like an evil samurai. 
But um, during him and Shang Chi's uh, fight, it's interesting. You get you kind of uh, you get this side view of each other, and um, you underneath his mask, you see a skull. You see the skull that he's made with. So like, I question if he's like literally a walking skeleton. You know, like he's kind of animated in a suit of armor, like you know Fu Manchu's dealing with necromancy and science. To bring this character back to life. And we really don't get a whole lot about him. Except for at the end of 47. Uh, Shang-Chi meets him. And he looks worried. Because um, he's like. My father has spoken to you. When I was a child. He even showed me your armor. Which Fu Manchu kept. Speaking proudly of the legend. Surrounding the prowess of a warrior. But I warn you. I mean to see my father. Again now, and not even you can stop me. And Shaka Karn takes him up on the challenge. And they're on this bridge and they're fighting, right? And he's, uh, Shang-Chi's got these, still has his uh, skirmish sticks. The first two strikes, Shaka Karn slices one and a half, slices the other one and a half. And Shang-Chi's kind of shocked. Shaka Khan, we've realized that being this ancient warrior, he's also very noble. And he tells Shang-Chi, you know, this is what he says. He says, the sea fan's sword, take it. I will slay no one unable to defend themselves, not even you, my false brother. And so, you know, he really will not fight a man unarmed, so I'm wondering if he didn't have a weapon, if he would fight Shang-Chi hand-to-hand. So they kind of do this sword pose off, you know, like, who's going to strike first? And uh, Shaka Karn asks him, you know, are you prepared, brother? And they go to swing, Shaka Karn, like, basically dodges his strike, slices him across the back, blocks Shang-Chi's next attack, and then tells him, you know... Uh, are you ready for the first blood? Because Shaka Karn draws first blood. Then he swings, swings again, and hits Shang-Chi so hard he knocks him off the bridge and beats him. So, like, literally in one, two, three, four, five, six strikes, that's all the fight was, he defeats Shang-Chi. Now, Shang-Chi's probably tired. He just fought all these sea fans. That kind of seems to be a thing uh, that happens, like, back with Shockwave. And maybe Shang-Chi is a lot more tougher than what we think as a vanilla human. Because uh, Black Jack Tar, like I said, he enhances these fights with his narrative, with his communication chip. And Shang-Chi falls. He turns himself so he avoids these stalagmites uh, on the floor. Because they're stalagmites stuck up from the ground. Turns himself and then falls through a sheet of ice. Into the pit where Black Jack Tar is at. So he's extremely durable because Black Jack Tar almost thinks he's dead. He even kind of says it. So uh, pretty uh, awesome stuff here. Um, now, uh, the big thing is we get this uh, really cool uh, two page story here where Fa Lu Su is explaining to Black Jack Tar, who just arrived because she's there with Reston, about Fu Manchu's master plan to, you know, Basically set the nukes off on Earth, destroy most of Earth, which will leave mainland China, which is what he wants to return to the old ways of China. And then, you know, with the rest of the population, he'll rule them. And this is something he's had planned since she was a girl. And we know that she's older than 40 because she's taken the elixir of immortality. So in the image, we see her and she is small. She might be like six, maybe seven. And then, given her age, she looks like maybe she's 22 or 23. So it's safe to say this was easily 50 years ago when we get the flashback there. But, um, Glacy's imaging here is pretty awesome. 
um, we get this shot of her and where she's like, we just see a part of her face and it's kind of like we see the moon in the background of the earth, almost like she's a planetoid herself as she's explaining everything. And then uh, we get this next panel where it's like people panicking and running as like this freaking giant tidal wave looks like I'm going to assume it's probably London or New York uh, is washing over it. And then... Uh, the next panel, which is obviously New York, because we see a destroyed Statue of Liberty in the city in the background destroyed. And it's pretty wild imagery. It's very telling to what level of destruction Fu Manchu is going to go to to achieve his dream. And uh, it's pretty devastating. I like that. Like I said, I know Fu Manchu is not, you know, he's this racist looking villain. We, we've all got that. And my whole point when I started this podcast in the beginning is like, yes, I know there's racism today. That's not acceptable in these books. But there's really good stories here, and there's really good characters. And Fu Manchu is a really good villain. And, you know, that's what I read when I get these. I, I, I see the racism, and I know it's there, but it should, it, the stories are still really good. Now, a main big thing with uh, the, these issues here, these two, is uh, you really kind of see the effects uh, Liko Wu is having on MI6. And we just recently talked about this with... Uh, Reston, and it kind of continues here because when we find out when Tar and Shang-Chi split up and then Liko and Reston split up, those two kind of stick together. So they kind of come across the rocket that uh, Fu Manchu has for space. Liko's trying to get him to leave with her, and he won't. And he says, um, no thanks, darling. At one time, I might have followed you anywhere, but things have changed now that cheese on the scene. And so he's literally, he's lost everything is how he feels. Um, he really does love her, and he's willing to risk his life, stow aboard this ship, and then kill Fu Manchu, and if it costs him his life, he doesn't care. So we see, you know, this effect that he's really starting to have on everybody. And then um, when we see Fossil Lu with Larner, we she even talks about it. Larner tells her, she's like, uh, that kid, that brother of yours, he's charmed. Talk about, you know, just how lucked he is. Or maybe it's charmed as in Liko Wu, because we know Larner has uh, a hatred for Liko Wu, which plays out right here as well. And um, she's like, yes, he has changed, perhaps because he's fallen in love. This woman, Liko Wu, other than being one of Smith's agents, just who is she? And, uh, well, Larner basically tells her at the end of his little speech is, the little witch who doused my life into darkness. So he's kind of telling her, like, he really hates Lee Kowu. And then um, in this next issue, Larner has this huge change of heart as Lico and Tar are fleeing the mountain base. You know, he's done set up these explosives. And here she comes, and he sees her being chased down by these sea fan assassins on skis. And uh, he just kind of, you know, in his mind, you get a flash of Genie, who kind of looks like uh, Pavane from the Mordillo stuff and the uh, Vector stuff on the island with all the nukes and whatnot. Maybe that's where Fu Manchu got his nukes now that I think about it. But um, he basically realizes that, you know, it's all up to him to save everything. Maybe he needs to be a better man, and much like Reston's going to sacrifice himself, he decides to sacrifice himself. So, you know, he goes, he goes to pull the cable, and uh, a sea fan assassin bullets in the back, and kills sea fan assassins, and sacrifices himself by letting the electrical current go through him, destroy the mountain. So, you know, this effect that she's had on him is, um, in my mind, the way I'm seeing this is, maybe Larner, because he says he's doing it for Genie, 
is maybe Lorna realized that maybe Jeannie sacrificed herself so Liko could escape. Because they never found a body or anything. And maybe just in this moment, because he sees her and Tar escaping, he realizes that maybe he was wrong about Liko. And Jeannie did what was right and sacrificed herself so Liko could live. And maybe that's just what he's doing. And um, and it's crazy how she's affecting everybody here. Well, everybody but Tar and Smith at this point. But uh, she's extremely upset, and uh, she comes running to him, like, almost in denial as she sees his dead body on the ground. She's screaming no as she's running towards him. It's pretty moving and uh, very noble of Larner, and I'm really sad that he's dead. You know, I just really liked Larner as a character. You know, he brought some much-needed darkness and truth to what's going on here with the MI6. Now, uh, this effect Liko's had, and I just talked about with Larner willing to sacrifice himself, and it looks like Reston's willing to sacrifice himself. It almost seems like Shang-Chi's willing to do the same thing for Liko as well, because um, he runs up to the ship and he finds it, and Larner's kind of surprised, and uh, as she gets on board, Reston asks him, what about Tar? He's with Liko, they think I've come to bring you out of here. No, they don't, Chi, not really. They know exactly what we're both going to do. Now snuggle down and grab a hiding place. So basically, uh, they both know, hey, this is the end of the line for us. And Chong-Chi looks at him, and he's got this appreciative look on his face like, wow, okay, he's willing to sacrifice himself to save everything much like myself. So it seems like the beef between Chong-Chi and Reston is over with over Liko. And I hate that because, man, I really do like what they were building up with these characters. So, uh, before I end here, we got some really cool stuff here. And I really like Fu Manchu as a villain, like I said. Uh, I know the name is racist. Uh, I know he's portrayed in a very racist way with the yellow skin tone and all that other stuff because he's from China. But um, when Blackjack Tar confronts him and Smith is yelling at him not to and he can't, uh, you know, and he can't hear him, uh, Fu Manchu tries to hypnotize him. Um, and that's pretty awesome. I, I, I like that. And it's just enough to uh, stun Tar. And basically, he slaps him across the face, which knocks him over a bridge. So maybe Fu Manchu's a little bit stronger than your typical vanilla human. And he knocks him down into a pit. And this is where we get some really other cool stuff. Is um, He's been mutating on scorpions. And these scorpions are huge. I don't know if you've ever played Resident Evil Zero, but you fight this giant scorpion on the back of the train. And this scorpion is about that size. Now, also, um, we've learned that, you know, Fu Manchu is a scientist. He's experimented with mutagens and drugs and whatnot. Well, also, he's built a freaking space rocket that uh, he uses to travel to space. So, that is pretty cool as well. And we've also seen him use what I'm going to guess is maybe drones um, and types of cameras and whatnot that he's got floating around. Because, you know, he does a pretty good job of keeping up with Shang-Chi. But uh, I like this because we really get to see some of what Fu Manchu is capable of and a lot more of his intelligence uh, displayed. But with that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap these episodes up. Um, and I'm ready to really finish this story. I can't wait to see how it plays out. It's pretty uh, good so far. I can't stop talking about this. I would really like to pick Doug Minch's brain over this. So if anybody out there listening knows how to get a hold of Doug Minch and ask his and when I want to ask him if he wants to talk about all this I would love to pick his brain but that'll wrap up this episode of the Deadly Podcast to Kung Fu you can follow Deadly Podcast to Kung Fu over on Twitter Mastodon at Deadly Kung Fu Pod or wherever you follow Villains Man on social media you can follow me JVD over at JVD at TVD on Twitter 
Fuck My Music, check out Kuro's song, Rushing Tiger over on SoundCloud. But remember, guys, in the end, support your favorite podcast. Support your local comic book shops. Go dig these out of back issue bins before they get expensive when that next Shang-Chi movie hits. And keep reading comics, guys. Oh!